which have been a huge blessing. But getting back into the swing of things here in our series, uh, this will be our seventh time in the book of 1 Kings. And uh, we are, uh, we've entitled this study, Timeless Truths, that we find here in the Old Testament, here in the book of 1 Kings, that we find from several of the kings that we're going to find uh, throughout the book. Now, we're kind of in the middle of the narrative, while at the same time not really in the middle of the book, because we're still in chapter 2 here. Um, but we're just trying, we're, we're following this narrative along here, what's unfolding here in 1 Kings chapter 1 and chapter 2. And um, if you remember back to the, the previous couple of weeks, anytime you have a narrative and you're dealing with the same uh, characters, if you will, that are in this narrative, we've seen several of the same people, there are going to be similarities um, each week as you go back to that character. And so tonight we're going to see another similarity. And one of the things that we have seen in the book of First Kings is something that's, that's kind of plaguing many of the people that we're reading about. And it's an attitude, it's a spirit of pride. Now, we've talked about that in several different aspects. We've talked about uh, putting God's will and plan more important than my wills and my wants and my plans. We've talked about um, being loyal to God and to His Word. We've talked about how pride destroys the work of God. And in a moment, we'll show a slide with just several of the things that we've talked about. But it's important to refresh ourselves of that because tonight again, we're going to come to a man who we've already read about And he is still struggling with this area of pride. And so what we're doing tonight is we're taking that attitude, that spirit of focusing on self, and we're going to to apply it to a specific area of the Christian life. That I think you can also see here in this chapter. But overall, again, what we're looking at, like we've looked at the past couple weeks, is an attitude here of pride and how it affects different things. And how it affects different things in our church, in our personal life, in our families, and all, and many of these different things. And so again, tonight, we're going to see that as well. So just for sake of a brief review, here's a timeline, if you will, of um, Israel in the Old Testament. And uh, if you kind of follow along this timeline, you see all the way, it goes back to creation, and you see the time of the patriarchs the time during the wilderness, and then the conquest that we read about in Joshua. And then you have the period of the judges. And now where that little blue bar is, is the period that we are in. We would call it the period of the kings. And so we are right at the very, uh, close to the very beginning of that. We know it starts with King Saul, and then we read about King David. And now we have just started the reign of King Solomon. Now as we read through 1 Kings the kingdom is going to be divided. And uh, so this next slide uh, shows us a little bit about that. So the first king, uh, the first kings on this slide, as far as the years go, we have David. And then the blue one is where we are right now, Solomon. But uh, pretty soon, it's going to be a nation divided. Um, and we're going to read about kings from different nations. We could call it the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom. Uh, and things like that. And so that is where we are headed in the book of 1 Kings. These are the things that we've talked about so far as we've followed this narrative. 1 Kings chapter 1, the first thing that we read about is that David is on his deathbed. And as David is on his deathbed, Israel is now thinking about a time of transition. King David's about to die. The mighty King David is about to die. Now we do have to think about who is going to be the next king of Israel. And during this time of vulnerability, if you will, as the king is on his deathbed, Adonijah, we called him the opportunist, promotes himself to be the next king of Israel. And we looked, when we looked at that study, that God had already made it very clear who the next king was going to be when he brought to David uh, the announcement that David would not be the one to build the temple, that his son Solomon would. And so this was already a clear will of God that it was going to be Solomon. And so what Adonijah is doing is going against that. And uh, he's doing the exact same thing that his older brother Absalom had done. And he promotes himself to be king. And we saw that pride destroys the work of God. Pride is a disastrous thing. Now Adonijah is starting to sow discord 
in the nation of Israel, and he's getting people to jump on and support him. And we have people like Abiathar and Joab who are promoting Adonijah. And now the nation of Israel is probably thinking, well, these are two men that have served under David. Maybe David has announced this man to be the next king, and it's confusing the people of Israel. And then we continued in our study and saw Nathan jump in, the loyalist. Not necessarily loyal to David, but loyal to God. And we saw that in several instances. And he comes to David with Bathsheba and says, Have you heard what Adonijah is doing? I'm coming to you hoping that this is not from you. Remember that Solomon is, you've already proclaimed that. And, uh, you know, I'm just asking, have, have I not heard something? And he comes to King David with that and uh, has an impact on King David and is able to do it very wisely. And uh, because of his loyalty to God in David's life for, through several different instances, including the sin with Bathsheba, uh, we see a, a huge impact that Nathan has on our narrative here in uh, getting King David to act to proclaim and to send uh, Zadok, Nathan, and Benaiah out to anoint Solomon, the next king of Israel, so there is not a doubt. And that's what happens there in 1 Kings chapter 1. Um, And in verses 38 through 53, we see that Solomon is anointed the next king of Israel. And Adonijah, the word gets to him, and he runs to the tabernacle and grabs hold of the, the horns of the altar as to claim sanctuary for his life. Uh, because in his mind, he probably was going to eliminate Solomon if he was to be king. And so he's pleading for his life. Solomon gives him one condition, to live, to behave himself a worthy man, worthy both to God and not a nuisance to the throne, not to come up against the throne again. And so that's what's taking place there. And we see that Adonijah should have known better. There was a lack of prudence. And prudence is a caution about the decisions and the choices that we make and the possible outcomes that they might have. Now, Adonijah had an example right in front of him, his older brother who did the exact same thing and the disastrous results that that had. And it is wise, we looked at in our lives, to develop a spirit that says and that shows wisdom about potential outcomes when we make decisions for our church, when we make decisions for our family, when we make decisions for our personal life. It's wise to ask ourselves the question, what could this potentially lead to? How could this affect these different people? How could this affect my walk with Christ? And prudence is a key. And we looked at verses in Proverbs about how prudence uh, is, is the wise way to live your life. It's very foolish to make decisions without considering the possible outcomes. And uh, we looked at chapter 2, as as chapter 2 started, David is on his deathbed and he gives Solomon advice. And we looked at training the next generation and um, how we need to do our part in training the next generation, both by um, giving them spiritual, um, practical spiritual mentorship and truth, and then also giving them specific Truth, that's what David did to Solomon for some specific examples, a couple of which we're going to look at this evening, and also by living an example to them of how we should live our lives, like David did with Solomon. And then we moved on into chapter 2, and we saw Adonijah's end because that one condition that uh, Solomon gave Adonijah, he went up against. And if you remember, he asked for Abishag, the Shunammite, to wife, in, a, in an act of, again, coming up against the throne. And uh, Adonijah, with making that decision, broke the one condition Solomon used to, to gave him to save his life. And Adonijah is put to death. And then the last time we were together, we looked at Abiathar, the high priest. The man in Israel who was supposed to be the man who could uh, find out the will of God, right? Right? I mean, he had the uh, Thummim and the Urim and, and all of these things to find out the will of God. And this high priest completely missed it. I mean, he is here supporting Adonijah even after Solomon was God's clear choice and Solomon was on the throne. 
And how did he miss it? Well, in those last two lessons, as we looked at Adonijah and Abiathar, we looked at this spirit that says, God's will and plans over my own wills and my own wants and my own desires. Now, to Abiathar and many of the other people in Israel, Adonijah probably would have been the logical choice. He was older than Solomon. He was a man of war. Uh, older by quite a few years than Solomon. And so in many people's lives, they're thinking, this is the logical choice. And so in trusting their own logic and being convinced that they had the right way and not being willing to see God's will over their own plans and wants, we saw that disaster starting to happen in all of their lives. Abiathar is not put to death. He's asked to leave his position. And uh, he's no longer holds that office of high priest. The last time we were together, we looked at the timeless truth that we must die to self, especially in the areas of discerning God's will. And uh, that is what is happening in this time of transition here in Israel. So tonight, we're coming to a close on a certain character that we've already looked at. And in doing so, we also come to uh, some discussion on several characters that we've already looked at. And they're reoccurring. And these specific characters are characters who have been serving in the palace and serving the nation of Israel for quite some time now. Uh, Over periods of years under different leadership, they have held these offices of serving the people in the palace and the people of Israel. And tonight as we discuss Joab, we're going to discuss an overview of these men and see... That service is vitally important. We need people to serve. We need people involved in faithful Christian service. But just like we've looked at already, the heart behind it is going to determine whether that's actually going to happen. You see, with Joab, he's a man in a position of service to this nation, yet his heart is for himself, like we're going to see in this instance and a couple other instances as well, and that's really going to mess with his service to the nation of Israel. And in the same way, when it comes to our service, where God has us right now, serving, when our focus is on ourself, it's going to make our service inconsistent, uh, make our gifts and talents put in the wrong directions, and, all, and it just messes up. And so we're really looking at the core. While we're looking at faithful Christian service, we're looking at a core heart issue that goes behind Christian service. Is our focus on loving God and pleasing God and wanting God's will? Or is our focus on ourself? And it's going to make the difference in service in these men's lives here in Israel and in our lives as well. So let's get started here uh, just briefly this evening. So we're in 1 Kings chapter 2. And we're going to look at Joab's death as we continue our narrative here. Solomon is king. Adonijah has been killed. This The nuisance that he has been. Abiathar has been removed. And word gets to Joab of those last two instances. Adonijah was killed. Abiathar was removed. And no doubt Joab had been in the palace for so long, people came and told him what was happening. And that's where we kind of leave off on our narrative. So let's read. Let's start off by reading this passage of Scripture. Uh, Just a couple of verses here. 1 Kings chapter 2, starting in verse 28. Then tidings came to Joab, for Joab had turned after Adonijah. Though he turned not after Absalom. And Joab fled unto the tabernacle of the Lord and caught hold on the horns of the altar. And it was told King Solomon that Joab was fled unto the tabernacle of the Lord. And behold, he is by the altar. Then Solomon sent Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go, fall upon him. And Benaiah came to the tabernacle of the Lord and said unto him, Thus saith the king, Come forth. And he said, Nay, but I will die here. And Benaiah brought the king word again, saying, Thus said Joab, and thus he answered me. Verse 31, And the king said unto him, Do as he hath said, and fall upon him, and bury him, that thou mayest take away the innocent blood which Joab shed from me. We have already looked at David talking about that innocent blood that Joab shed. And forth the hou- and from the house of thy- my father. Verse 32, And the Lord shall return his blood upon his head, who fell upon two men more righteous and better than he, and slew them with the sword, my father David, not knowing thereof, to wit... Abner, the son of Ner, captain of the host of Israel, and Amasa, the son of Jether, captain of the host of Judah. Their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab, and upon the head of his seed forever. But upon David, and upon his seed, upon his house, and upon his throne, 
shall there be peace forever from the Lord. So Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, went up and fell upon him and slew him, and he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. And the king put Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, in his room over the host, and Zadok the priest did the king put in the room of Abiathar. So let's work through this a little bit. To understand what's happening, we want to look at a bio of Joab, because it helps us understand a little bit about this this heart that he's dealing with here that's affecting his service. Understand this. In our narrative, Israel is about to be blessed with some great riches because of Solomon's first initial decisions as king. And Joab, because of his heart, has taken himself out of being able to serve underneath that prosperous nation and prosperous time and seeing God work. Because of his pride, because of his selfishness, He's taken himself out of that opportunity. He's completely missed it. And so let's, let's see a little bit about Joab. We don't necessarily read it here, but hopefully this will be helpful uh, as we talk about him. He kind of first comes on the scene when he was David's captain of the host while David was at war with Ishbosheth for the nation. All right? And Abner was Ishbosheth's captain. Now this is important because Abner is one of the men that Joab murders. Because eventually in this battle for the throne, the entire nation of Israel uh, between Ishbosheth and David, David um, obviously wins and we've talked about that before, but Abner changes alliances and serves under David. And because of that, Joab's radars go up. Hey, he, will, he had my same position over here under Ishbosheth, and now he's supporting And he murders Abner in cold blood after Abner transfers allegiance to King David. And we're, we're reading about this as we go through 2 Samuel. We, we read a lot about Joab. And uh, after that, Joab was made the commander of all of David's armies for being the first to enter the fortress at Mount Zion during an assault at that time, you could call a stronghold. Um, not much was working, and uh, in one of his heroic moments on the battlefield, Joab uh, is able to be the leader in this victory. It's an amazing victory that we read about in 2 Samuel chapter 10 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 19. And because of his heroics, he's promoted to be the captain of all of the armies. That's his position. I mean, this is a battle hero. Uh, is what we're seeing taking place here in Joab's life. Time goes on and he remained loyal to David during Absalom's rebellion, if you remember that. Several people in the palace at that time went ahead with Absalom. And uh, it's interesting to see that he stayed faithful to God's plan during this rebellion, but during Adonijah's rebellion completely missed it. And um, there's some differences there. It might have been very clear that David was still supposed to be the king, David was still God's clear, logical choice. But in this instance, Adonijah, Solomon, Joab, he's worked with Adonijah in battle, right? He is, he is older. And um, so you see a little bit of a difference there as well. But in this instance, as we read more about Joab in 2 Samuel 14, during this whole rebellion of Absalom, Joab remains loyal to David. And um, Joab is actually the one who kills Absalom. If you remember, word goes to Joab that Absalom had got his hair caught in the tree. And Absalom scolds the messenger, says, why didn't you kill him there? And Joab goes and does it himself. And then we see that Joab killed Amasa, who had taken his place as captain of the armies in 2 Samuel chapter 20. So Amasa comes on the scene And Joab no longer has the office, if you will, position of being captain of all the armies underneath David. It's given to this man named Amasa. And during a hard time of battle, Amasa goes out to battle and things are just not progressing in a good time frame. So King David sends a couple men and somehow Joab gets into that group of men as well and goes to meet Amasa to see what's going on. In an act of complete cowardice, he goes up to Amasa that we read about in 2 Samuel chapter 20, and he kisses him on the cheek as to say, you know, we are on the same side here, we're friends, we're buddies, and immediately kills him with his dagger. 
And those are the two murders that David has already brought to Solomon's attention in David's final remarks to Solomon in chapter 2. And Solomon alludes to them here as well. So that's our bio of Joab all the way up to 1 Kings chapter 1. And obviously what we would add to that list is now he's on Adonijah's train. Now he's supporting Adonijah, which is clearly not God's will. So that's Joab's bio, and it helps us understand that in this instance, we see a heart of pride. But as you look through that as well, there are clear other instances that this was a struggle in this man's life. I mean, he was murdering people in cold blood because they were a threat to his position. They were a threat to his, um, his leadership that he had obtained. And so this is an ongoing struggle in his life, just as it was in this instance with Abiathar, who Abiathar had many, many great victories and times with King David. Adonijah struggled with this, and here is Joab as well, struggling with this sense of pride. So now we get to our passage, and this is what's happening. We see Joab's response to the news. What news is that? Verse 28, tidings get to him that reaches Joab's ears. In verse 28, and the news, it's the news of Adonijah's death and Abiathar's removal of office of high priest. That's the news that gets to him in verse 28. So he responds to getting that news. And uh, you can tell by his response that Joab is obviously not thinking that Solomon is going to treat him as he did Abiathar. He is scared for his life. He knows he is next because of his choices, not only in this specific instance with Adonijah and being traitor to the throne, but also in the past as well. So again, we see evidence that Adonijah just seemed to be their logical choice as we see the story progress because Joab did not jump on Absalom's side either. And we read about that here in the verses that we Read about it says that um, he was on Adonijah's side, uh, but not during Absalom's rebellion either. Joab runs to the tabernacle and grabs hold of the horns of the altar there, uh, the brazen altar, claiming sanctuary, expecting that he was next to go. And that's what's happening here. We've already seen Adonijah do that once. Solomon have mercy on him then. So this is Joab's initial response. Word gets to him. Adonijah was just killed, and Abiathar has been removed. And immediately Adonijah is thinking, those are the two men that I've conspired with, with this, uh, this whole thing about promoting Adonijah to be king. And his initial response is running to the tabernacle and claiming sanctuary. And then word gets back to Solomon about Joab's response here. And uh, Joab's last effort to save his life is seen here in verses 29 through 30, which we already read. As Joab is grabbing, grabbing holds of the horns of the altar, Solomon got word. We see that in verse 29. And he sends Benaiah, who we've already read about, to fall upon Joab. Now, to fall upon could be taken a couple different ways. Does it mean that Solomon sent Benaiah the first time to kill um, to kill Joab where he stood. And I don't believe that's the case because of the response here in verses 30 and 31. I mean, Benaiah comes and says to him, come forth. And um, Joab refuses to leave the place where he is at. And so instead of seeing to fall upon as a command to go and kill Joab, what this command is, is to basically um, take him into custody. Bring him here, um, possibly to be tried, whatever it might be. And it's believed that because of Joab's response, the first command from Solomon is for Benaiah to take Joab into custody, bring him to the palace. And as Benaiah addresses him with this and says, you know, the king summons you, I'm going to take you there. Um, whatever, uh, maybe he's going to bind him and take him there, whatever it might be. Joab stays there in the tabernacle and says, nope. You're going to have to kill me here if anything's going to happen. And it's interesting to see why he said that, because it's probably a last-ditch effort for Joab to save his own life in hopes of maybe stirring up some religious, um, you know, religious thing that might come up and say, well, we can't shed 
innocent blood here in this holy place right next to the, the altar and all these different things. That's why people would run there for sanctuary. But uh, Joab really hasn't thought this through because really that understanding in the religious realm was to shed innocent blood. Joab's blood was not innocent, which is what Solomon is going to make the case for here in a second. And so as Benaiah comes and addresses Joab, he's still at the altar. Joab will not leave and states that he will die there. And uh, Joab is trying one final effort to save his life by possibly stirring up a religious discord of killing in the tabernacle. So that's what's happening in the next couple verses to verse 30. Then we see Solomon's response. Benaiah goes back to Solomon, tells him what happens, and Solomon gives permission to execute Joab there in the tabernacle. And he goes on in this, the next couple verses here, 31 through 33, to explain why. Solomon explains the reason for capital punishment and how the shedding of blood was justified because Joab murdered Abner and Amasa. And Solomon makes sure that Joab pays for the two murders. While David was king during that time, all right, and Joab acted underneath King David, Solomon wants to make it clear David had no knowledge of this, did not command Joab to make those two kills. Joab had acted without the king's consent. And this blood would fall on his head and his family's head, not on David's head. Uh, This went under the radar as far as David's family was concerned. So that's what's taking place in the next couple of verses here. And that's how Solomon responds. He says, Benaiah, if that's what he said, he's not willing to come, have a fair trial, he is guilty. And by law, with this guilt, King David, if I, former King David, we, we discussed it before he died, he deserves death for what he did. Benaiah, go back and kill him there in the tabernacle. And that's what we see in, happening in verse 34, Joab's death. Solomon commands Benaiah in verse 31 to go and slay Joab for his crimes. Benaiah carries out his orders in verses uh, 34 and kills Joab. And it's interesting to think about this. Joab had many victories in battle. He was a battle hero. That's why he was promoted to be captain of the armies. A few moments of being faithful to the king, as we looked at his bio, he did have those, but unfortunately... All of that was overridden by Joab's life of serving himself. That's what's happening here. Yeah, he had some great battle victories. And yeah, he had some moments where his decisions seemed to be in alignment with God's will and God's plan, being faithful to King David under Absalom's rebellion. But this man, all of those things are completely overridden in his life. Because his life here from what we can see, especially in this instance with Adonijah, is about serving himself. And that affects our service. That affects, affected Joab's service to the king, to the nation of Israel. When we are focused on ourselves, service becomes inconsistent. Service becomes self-promoting. Service or our energies and our talents are placed in the wrong areas like Joab here is with Adonijah. And opportunities to serve are gravely missed. Joab's missing out on on one of the most prosperous times Israel is about to experience. God is about to bless the nation of Israel because Solomon here, we're going to learn about here in a a couple weeks in chapter 3, chooses wisdom as what he wants from God. And God blesses him and blesses the nation with riches that they haven't even seen before. And Joab doesn't get to be a part of it. He misses out on serving underneath that. And so, at the end of this account, we see two other men who were also servants during this time under King David. And there's Zadok and Benaiah. And in verse 35, we see that Benaiah and Zadok are promoted for their service. Solomon promotes Zadok to be sole high priest prior to this. Previously, that he shared that position with Abiathar. Abiathar has been removed from that position. And here officially, Solomon puts Zadok in that position of high priest. Solomon promotes, uh, promotes Benaiah to be over his hosts, the armies. And Benaiah had previously been the captain of the bodyguard. So both are promotions here. 
for both men. And both of these men we've already learned about all the way back when we learned about David going and telling them to anoint Solomon. And if you remember that night we talked about it, there was a man who spoke up and showed us that their loyalty wasn't necessarily to David, but to God. And it was the bodyguard, Benaiah. And as David said, go anoint Solomon to be king, Zadok said, that's the right decision. Nathan said, that's the right decision. And Benaiah goes, amen. This is God's will. And my prayer for Solomon, David, is that God blesses him even more than your reign. I mean, these two men have a complete different heart than Joab had, than Adonijah had, than Abiathar had in this specific instance. You see, their heart was not their own interest. Their heart was not their own plan, their own will. Right? You, you could maybe think that when you think that maybe they just wanted Solomon to be king. But after you see some of their responses, it's clear. Benaiah was on the side of God. He wanted God's will to be done. Zadok is the same way, and we read that about his bio, and we've looked at their bios before. And so there's a complete different heart, and as a result, their service is completely different. It's consistent now. It's not self-promoting, it's God-promoting. Their energies and their talents are put in the right aspects. They're supporting the next king of Israel that God is going to bless. And they're not going to miss out on that opportunity because of where their heart is at. So both men have been serving faithfully through David's time and now into Solomon's reign. So that kind of wraps up, at least interpreting what we're reading tonight. How can we apply it? Right? How can we apply this to our life? Well, when I see Joab's life, I see a lot of wasted opportunities to be involved in God's plans. And from his service, we see important truths about our service as well, and about the heart behind our, behind our life, how we live our life, why we make decisions, why we serve. And we see a lot of important things behind that. So I see several things in our narrative that remind me of faithful Christian service. All of these men are involved in service, which we can commend them for. However, their hearts behind that service were different and as a result, some were faithful in their service and others were self-promoting. When I look at it in the New Testament, I think of it this way. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight says this, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So what is our timeless truth tonight? Our timeless truth is this, faithful service is always needed. But when we really dig down deeper what our timeless truth is talking about, just like we've talked about the last several times we've been here, is there has to be a heart that puts God above our own will. That puts God above our own wants. That's where service comes from. And it applies to all aspects of the Christian life. And we see that in the New Testament over and over and over again. We wouldn't argue this evening that it's God's will for us to be involved in faithful Christian service. So let's look at the heart behind it a little bit. Acts of service or faithful service are just this. Acts of service to and for God where he has you right now. That's what faithful Christian service looks like. Faithful service to God during Joab's time would have been acts of service to God where God had him according to God's plan at that time. And that's the same for us today. Acts of faithful Christian service are acts of service to and for God where he has you right now and according to the plan that he has you in. And when our heart is on ourself, we miss that about faithful Christian service. It's no longer about doing acts for God. And many times we misinterpret it and interpret God's plan and God's will. Faithful service to God and his church is always needed. In times of searching out God's will, a new pastor for Eagle Heights, is faithful service needed? Absolutely. Is a heart of humility needed to put God's will above our own will? Absolutely. Hey, when God brings the new man to be a pastor of Eagle Heights Baptist Church, is faithful Christian service still needed? Absolutely. Do we have to apply more than ever God's will above our own will when that happens? Absolutely. 
I can't tell you time after time in transitions that we've been a part of in churches, and there were possibly a couple in the handful of times that we've seen where maybe the man was not God's will, and you look at doctrinal things like that when that comes into play. But when it's God's will, and the church finds God's man for the church, for some reason, I've always seen people not jump on board with God's will. And because it wasn't their man of choice, now their faithful service is gone as well. And they don't get to experience God's work under the new man. And we can take this way outside of just the transition that we are in here at Eagle Heights Baptist Church. A heart of humility in promoting God's will above our will is so important when it comes to Christian service. Faithful service is still needed, and that's where the last two messages that we've talked about come into play. God's will above our will, dying to self, and how that applies to us. We all know it's God's will for us to be involved in faithful Christian service, but let's look at the heart behind that. The first thing that I see are there's some hindrances here in Joab's life when it comes to his service. And if we were to look at all these men that we've already talked about, I see the same hindrances in Adonijah. And unfortunately, in the specific instance, we looked at in Abiathar as well. And I see the same hindrances. A hindrance um, is something that hinders or gets in the way of something being done, right? That's what a hindrance is. When you get to be in junior high or high school and it comes to homework, for some reason, hindrances just start to multiply. Now, some of them are, are, are um, they're right, they're true, they're not made up hindrances, all right? When you get sick and you're real sick, all right, you're actually sick, that's a hindrance, all right? When there's a family emergency, whatever it might be, those things start to, they do pile up when you become, get into junior high and even into high school. But I've also heard some hindrances that were pretty far-fetched, right? Um, or those hindrances to not, I didn't get my homework done today, um, and we use the classic one, my dog ate my homework, or something like that. And, um, you know, all of these things that, that type of multiply. Uh, I remember when, when we were in Indiana uh, teaching a discipleship class with junior high-aged people, and uh, there were a lot of hindrances when it came to the homework. And uh, sometimes it was a little humorous, but I remember... One of my first weeks there, I was still getting to know the, the kids, and a junior high boy came up to me. Uh, I was look, looking for his homework. He said, I don't have it. And I was like, well, why didn't you get your homework done? And he proceeded to tell me that uh, it was because of some, you know, family emergency with his sister uh, that had taken place, and he just he didn't have the time. And I understood that. I wanted to have mercy. And he said, okay, I understand that. And uh, it was probably a few days later that I learned that he had no sister. He had no younger sister, all right? Um, that hindrance was completely made up. But what a hindrance is, is it gets in the way of something being done the right way. And that's what's happening in Joab's life here. There is an obvious hindrance, and the number one hindrance in the Christian life that gets in the way of faithful Christian service isn't time, isn't abilities, isn't talents, isn't money, itself. That's the number one hindrance, especially when it comes to service. And that, that's, it, that's what's happening in Joab's life. Let's look at how this heart affected Joab and how very similarly it affects our service as well. The first thing that we see is like Joab, when our focus is on ourself, our service will be inconsistent. So when we looked at his bio, that's what's happening there. His focus is on his, on his self for the most part of his life from what we can see that the, that the scriptures give us. And as a result, that service to God and in accordance with God's will, where God had him, was very inconsistent. He was not uh, going to accept God's will that he was no longer going to be the captain of the army Amasa would be. He was not willing to accept Solomon as the next king. And this service is very inconsistent because the heart of it was focused on himself. And when we're focused on ourselves, serving in the church, participating in acts of service, and using our spiritual gifts to serve, and the talents that God has given us to serve, it becomes really inconsistent as well. 
because our priorities are all misplaced. All of the sudden, sports games will take the place of a service opportunity. Or sleep will take the place of coming and being involved in the local church. Or maybe we will get involved and serve when it looks good for us, or it fits into our schedule once a year, or whatever it might be. And the reason it becomes inconsistent is because instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to lead, and instead of praying for opportunities to serve, for God to use us in the local church, many of us see the local church through a set of eyes that says, what can I get out of it? Instead of what can I give? Now don't get me wrong, you should get something out of the local church. You should be fed. You should be shepherd. You should be discipled. But the attitude is completely different behind it. It's not what can I get, it's what can I give. And you see this unfolding. I'm grateful for consistent servers here at Eagle Heights. We have many of them. Right? And so in many ways I'm preaching to the choir here tonight. I understand all the acts of service that go on. But maybe as we think about this tonight, let's, uh, let's just be humble and ask God, are there areas where I could improve? Are there areas where I could, instead of just not caring or not having the right attitude behind it, could I pray this evening, and as I go home, could I pray with my family for God to open up the right opportunities for me to serve the local church and to serve Him? Maybe our attitude does have to change about it. Maybe we have been serving in many different ways here in the local church, but our attitude behind it has been completely wrong. It's been self-promoting what we can get out of it or whatever it might be. And so while I know and I understand and I've been the recipient of so much Christian service here at Eagle Heights, there's always room for us to improve. And we're, a- we're asking, we're looking at the heart's issue here. So it's inconsistent. Like Joab, when our focus is on ourself, our service will be self-promoting. So now instead of being willing to do those things that go unnoticed, well, we'll jump on board when we can get the praise for it, Right? But when it's something that nobody's going to ever notice and just take up my time and nobody's even going to care about eventually anyways, not too concerned about that. Oh, but I have an opportunity to be praised in front. I guess I can make time for that now. You know, people are going to see that. And it starts to become self-promoting. Joab here used his position for personal gain. Killing two men he deemed as threats so that he could keep his position. And these acts stem from a heart of selfishness. Joab looked out for himself. And when we're living for self, then we begin to serve for the reasons of looking good or promoting self or whatever it might be. When we're focused on self, service becomes self-promoting and not God-promoting. Like Joab, when our focus is on ourself, our gifts and our energies will be directed in the wrong things. So what happens here? Joab misses it. Like Adonijah did, like Abiathar, the high priest completely missed it. He missed God's will. And as a result, his gifts and talents, he begins to exhaust them in the complete wrong man. Adonijah. And the idea for the nation, because he is focused on himself. Who he believed to be the best option for Israel and his gifts and his talents and his energies, which I believe this man had a lot of. He's a battle hero. People looked up to him. He had a position of leadership. And I believe he had a lot of energy left to give and a lot of gifts to give. But because his focus was on himself and not promoting God's will above his own, now those energies and gifts and talents were put in all the wrong places that were actually being a hindrance to God's plan and God's work. And that's what happens when we're focused on ourselves as well. When our focus is on ourselves, our talents and our abilities begin to be used for selfish gain instead of God's glory. And we also see that like Joab, when our focus is on ourselves, we will overlook opportunities to serve. Instead of reading about here in 1 Kings chapter 2, a narrative that has Solomon become king and his faithful servants, Benaiah, Zadok, and Joab, serving under him in the most prosperous time of the nation, we read about something completely different, and Joab misses out on that opportunity to see God work. He misses out on an opportunity to serve. And I wonder how many opportunities people miss out on because we're too stubborn to accept God's plan. 
or we're too focused on ourselves. And I think it happens more than we would like to admit. So can I ask the question one more time this evening that we've asked for several Sunday nights? Where is your focus? Is it on ourself? As we look at getting a man of God here to be the pastor of our church, I really hope our focus isn't on our own wants and desires. I hope that it's God's will above my will and wants. I hope that it's dying to self on a regular basis, but let's ask ourselves again. We're a little bit further on in the process than we were the last time we talked about it. So where's our focus? Where's our focus spiritually? Let's, let's put that aside and be more specific. Where is your focus, Christian? Where is your focus spiritually? Are you waking up in the day and making decisions that are what you think is best for your future, for your direction, for your family, for your life? Or are you waking up with an attitude that says, I am in love with my Savior, with my Creator, and today, if his will and his plan is promoted above my will and my plan, I am pretty well off. Is that your heart? Is that your focus? Hey, we're not going to do that. We're not going to have a heart for God. We're not going to trust him with the future of Eagle Heights, with our future of our family, with the future of our life, if we don't know him. So part of that focus is staying in communication with him on a daily basis. And the more and more you get to know him, the more and more you're going to place that trust for your life, for your future, for Eagle Heights. And the more and more your focus is going to be on him because he will prove himself faithful. He will prove himself to have the best possible plan for your life, for your future teenager, for your family parent, for Eagle Heights Baptist Church family. And so where is our heart? Where is our life? Is it on God's will and plan? By the way, we can test where our focus is at by looking at our actions. So how's your service? How's your Christian service? Is it pretty inconsistent? Is it self-promoting? Are you exhausting your talents and your energies in areas that just promote self and not God's glory? Are you missing out on opportunities? It's a result of a deeper problem, a problem of focusing on ourselves. Or can we look at our life and say, you know, God is the center of my life. God is the reason why I do what I do. God is the reason why I'm serving in this area. God is the reason why I've made this standard in my family. God is the reason why I've made this choice for my future. Can we honestly say that today? We can test where our focus is at by looking at our actions this past week, by today. And if it doesn't happen your way, will you still, being so in love with God's plan over your own, that you continue to faithfully serve and live for him. There are some times that our wills and wants align with what God has for us, but usually it's different. And when it's different, our response should not be to have a heart of selfishness and pull ourselves out of that Christian service. It didn't go your way. God had a different plan. It wasn't your will. It wasn't your desire. God is good. God has the right plan. I don't. I'm going to continue to look to him. I'm going to continue to serve him. I'm going to continue to exhaust myself in his service. So those are hindrances. Then we see marks of service. And they're the exact opposite, right? We see them from Benaiah and Zadok here. When we're focused on God, our service will stay consistent. Because we're focused on God day in and day out and what we can do for him. When we're focused on God, our service will not be about promoting ourselves, but promoting our God, our Savior. And like Benaiah and Zadok, when our focus is on God, now our gifts and our energies and our talents and our spiritual gifts that God has given us will be used in profitable ways according to God's plan. And like Benaiah and Zadok, when we keep our focus on God, we will see opportunities to serve and not find ourselves in a situation like Joab, missing out on some of God's greatest works because we were too focused on ourselves. So the hearts behind faithful service we've already talked about. We have multiple men who have been serving the nation of Israel for years, Benaiah, Nathan, Abiathar, Zadok, Joab. Only some had a focus on God's will 
and others how to focus on self. A heart that promotes God's will over my will is a heart that dies to self, like we looked at last time, and as a result is faithful in serving God. That's what we're seeing from these men's life. So as we conclude, I'm reminded of Romans chapter 8 and verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. What that verse is talking about is your focus, where the focus is, who you're living for. Is it self or is it the Spirit? Is it God? A young reporter interviewed Bud Wilkinson, who was the former coach of the top-ranked Oklahoma Sooners football team. I know we have a few Oklahoma Sooner fans here. Um, and the reporter enthusiastically asked the coach this question, probably had thought of this question for uh, a long time. He says, Coach Wilkinson, tell us what contribution collegiate football has made toward physical fitness in America. And he was rather stunned when the coach replied, I do not believe that football has made any contribution to physical fitness in America. And the reporter was like, what do you mean? And the coach said, I define football as 22 men on the field desperately needing rest and 50,000 people in the stands desperately needing exercise. And the man who told me this story continued to say, sometimes a description of the local church when it comes to service. You have people, and you hear the word burnout, that are serving and serving and serving, but it's a collective effort. And it doesn't get there unless we as a body of believers say, God's will over my will. I'm not going to promote myself. I'm going to be humble. I'm not going to live in this way. We could really put it this way. Our timeless truth is that Christian service is always needed, but it's really that we would stay away from a focus on self and wake up every day doing what needs to be done to keep our focus on God. Is that what we're doing? Will we wake up and do that tomorrow? Will we continue to do that through a transition here? Will you do that with your future teenager? Will you do that with your family, parents? Will you do that with your life, brothers and sisters in Christ? Let's pray. Dearly Father, thank you.